Today is April 7th, 2022. This is Everyone Has an Opinion. My name is Juan. Feels like it's been a while since we talked boxing, but I am back. I am back to talk some boxing. If you noticed by the title, there is a little wrestling talk in this one. If you're here for the wrestling, simply fast forward through the boxing. If you're here for the boxing, stay tuned. I'll be right with you. This is Everyone Has an Opinion. My name is Juan. Ten straight weekends of big-time boxing is kicking off this weekend, Saturday, early on the East Coast at 8 a.m. Trust me, there's nothing in your ears. Your speakers are all right. You heard me correctly. 8 a.m. on the East Coast. Why, you ask? Because this fight is taking place in Japan, Ryota Murata's hometown. He is defending his WBA middleweight championship against the legend Triple G. Gennady Golovkin, who is also defending a middleweight championship. He's defending the IBF and the IBO. This is a unification match. This should be a fun one. Should be a huge crowd in Japan. Murata and Triple G are both highly inactive. So I think this is a pretty fair matchup. Triple G is 40 years old. Murata is no young man himself in the boxing world. He's 36. Both inactive. Both getting up there past their mid-30s. So I think it should lead to an all-action fight. Neither guy is really strong defensively. Neither guy is going to be looking to move out of the way. So I expect a really fun one early this early in the morning on the East. In Japan, I believe it will be prime time over there. Wherever you're watching, make sure you tune in at the right time. Double check. East Coast, 8 a.m. Should be the walkout time. Let me, let me get that clear. That's the walkout time. If you want to watch the main card, you've got to be up around 5 a.m. I don't know about anything on the undercard that's worthy. Um, I'm not deep into the Japan game, but the main event is Surefire Hall of Famer Triple G against Murata. And if Triple G gets past Murata, we already know what's waiting on the other side is Canelo, the third fight, the trilogy that Triple G has been asking for for a long time. Um, both guys are extremely active, inactive, like I said. Triple G's age could be a factor. He's 40 years old, but I believe he has one of the best jabs in the business. In his prime, to me, he had the best jab in the business. He also has a sneaky uppercut. He has the overhand right with a loop on the end. Triple G is very creative offensively. If he's even close to his old self, I expect a knockout. Murata does not move his body well at all. He's not fast. He has slow feet. He's a solid guy. He's a tough fighter. But when you're talking about elite level, I don't see him being a problem for Triple G. But, there's a big caveat to this. But, Triple G is 40. Triple G is inactive. We don't know if we're going to get the same Triple G. We simply don't know. We can speculate. We have to tune in to DAZN, 8 a.m., and see if this guy still has anything left in the tank. Because if he doesn't, he could get knocked out. Another thing, if he looks washed up but still wins, what does that say about the Canelo fight? Are you still interested in seeing it? Do you want to see a washed up Triple G go in there against Canelo? I don't. So I'm hoping Triple G still has something left. 
And if he doesn't, hopefully he gets knocked out uh, or at least loses so we don't get to see a lopsided trilogy. But that should be a fun one. This is a loaded weekend. Even if you don't catch it live, try to avoid the spoilers. As soon as you wake up, put on zone. The replay will be there. You can click on it, watch the all-action fair. And then later in the day, also on zone, you have Ryan Garcia, King Rye to many people, the internet sensation. The guy has, uh, speaking of inactivity, he hasn't fought since I believe the beginning of 2020. So Ryan Garcia is returning to the ring. His last fight was in 2020, but it was against the best opponent he had in his career. Excuse me, that was 2021. January 2021 against Luke Campbell. He got a TKO victory in the seventh round. He got dropped early in the fight. Before that fight, I had said, I want to see Ryan in an uncomfortable situation. He's great when everything goes his way. I want to see how he reacts when there's a bump in the road. And there was certainly a bump in the road. Luke Campbell landed a big left hand that dropped Ryan. It looked like he hurt him. Ryan eventually gets up, composes himself, stops Campbell late in the seventh round uh, via a body shot, a vicious body shot. That was uh, really impressive to see. I was looking forward to what was next. There was tons of talk about a triple, excuse me, a Tank Davis versus Ryan Garcia matchup, which everyone would love to see. Two guys with huge followings in their prime coming together. Mexican-American versus African-American. Would have been a huge fight. Mayweather Promotions versus Oscar De La Hoya's Golden Boy. The fight sells itself. They even had a podcast individually with Mike Tyson. I believe Tank Davis was FaceTimed by Mike Tyson saying, listen, you guys want to make the fight? Ryan Garcia said, we're going to make the fight happen. That didn't happen. What happened next was talks of him fighting Manny Pacquiao, which seemed far-fetched. Why? Because it was far-fetched and never took place. At first, it was talked about as an exhibition. Simply never took place. Wasn't even close to taking place as far as I know. Next, he was going to fight Jojo Diaz. That fell through. Or before that, let's 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 backtrack a little bit. Before the Jojo Diaz, Ryan Garcia was talking about fighting Jorge Linares. Very solid fighter. That didn't take place. Devin Haney stepped up, fought Linares, beats him. Then Ryan was in talks with Jojo Diaz. That didn't take place. Devin Haney steps up again, fights Jojo Diaz, beats him. So in the time that Ryan Garcia has been out, Devin Haney has jumped at the opportunity that was left by Ryan. Two solid opponents that Ryan didn't fight. Haney steps in, beats them both. Now Haney put himself in, in a position to become undisputed. He is going to fight George Cambosos in Australia in June. That happens because of Ryan Garcia's absence. So Ryan Garcia um, originally had a mental health issue, which was why he took time off and didn't fight Linares. And then I believe he had a hand injury that prevented him from fighting Jojo Diaz. So we went from a possible tank fight to a far-fetched Pacquiao fight to a solid Linares to a little bit better Jojo Diaz. None of that took place. Here we are, April of 2022, and he's going to fight Emmanuel Tago. Now, Emmanuel Tago is a decent fighter. I'm not here to discredit him, but he has not fought since 2020. So I expect an easy victory for Ryan Garcia. I don't think the inactivity will be a problem. He also trained, he also changed his trainer. He's now with legendary Joe Goosen. 
He left uh, Canelo's team. He left Eddie Reynoso. Many different speculation out of that. Canelo had publicly criticized him, saying, you know, this guy says he's going to show up at this time, then doesn't show up, uh, doesn't seem really dedicated. Ryan Garcia kind of shot back, said, you know what? Reynoso said he didn't have time for me. That's not true. You're saying, Canelo, you know the real reason why I'm not there and left it at that. People are speculating that real reason could be all the cheating that took place in Reynoso's camp, whether it was by Canelo, uh, Valdez. There was a couple other fighters that also tested positive and that was kind of swept under the rug. Is that what Ryan Garcia was alluding to? We do not know. We can only sit here and speculate. We don't know if it was that. We don't know if it was something else personal. There's a million different things that could have happened. But the bottom line is, Ryan Garcia is returning to the ring against Emmanuel to go. Decent opponent, but an inactive opponent. A guy I expect Ryan to get out of there. Ryan Garcia has exceptionally fast hands. Some of the fastest hands in the sport. Has a great left hook. And he displayed body punching power against Luke Campbell. So Ryan Garcia again is on the hot seat. The spotlight is on him. It is all his to take. He needs to come up with a big victory here, an impressive one, and then move on to bigger and better things. Hopefully the Tank Davis fight or something along those lines. Plenty of options in the lightweight division. It's a stacked division, one of the best in the sport. You've got Davis, you've got Haney, you've got Cambosis, you have Vasily Lomachenko, a lot of young talent as well. Michelle Rivera is on the brink, climbing up the ranks. There's just an endless supply of talent. Hopefully, these guys can clash with each other and give us the fights we really want in that division. Haney is the guy doing it. Tank and Ryan need to step up. After these upcoming bouts, hopefully they do. But that is not the only fight this weekend. Also on Showtime, we have the Towering Inferno. Six foot five, 154 154-pounder, Sebastian Fundora. This guy is a freak, and I mean that in all the best ways. You see him, he looks very skinny, very awkward. Like, how does this guy fight at this weight? How does he make that weight? And then you see him fight. You're saying, okay, guy's really tall. He's going to use that jab. He's going to keep his distance. He's going to make it impossible for you to get inside on him. No, that's not the case at all. Fundora likes to fight on the inside. That's his style. That's what makes him even more of a freak. He loves to stand there and trade with you. He loves to get on the inside. He loves to throw uppercuts at your body. He loves to smother you. He is an all-action fighter. He is undefeated. He is going against Erickson Lubin. Erickson Lubin is another vicious young fighter. Both southpaw. Erickson Lubin, to me, was a guy that I thought was going to take over the division a lot earlier than he did. Lubin has blistering body combinations. He has a vicious straight right hand. Excuse me, straight left hand. He's a southpaw. He has six straight wins since 2017. 2017 was his only loss. It was a first round knockout. Devastating knockout by Jermel Charlo. I picked Lubin to win that fight. Boy, was I wrong. Got knocked out in the first round. But that was a prime example of a guy, a young guy, moving up a little bit too quickly. And I don't mean by weight. I mean by... Um, the competition in his career. He shouldn't have been in there with Charlo, but he was daring to be great. Some things, sometimes the things pay off. Tiafimo against Lomachenko. Sometimes those things pay off. Young fighter goes in there against a veteran champion and gets the victory. That didn't happen on that night, but since 2017, 
Lubin and his team have done an amazing job of putting him in there with his six straight guys and slowly building him up every fight. His last fight was, I believe, against Jason Rosario, which he um, knocked him out with a body shot. Great combinations to the body. Very, very strong puncher. But neither one of these guys are perfect. Lubin, all the power he has, all the athleticism he has, his chin is not there. There's something, I believe it could have been that Charlo fight that really shook his confidence. Like, hey, this thing can end in one shot. But we don't know. Terrell Boucher rocked him. Uh, we saw Jason Rosario, Rosario land some big shots in their fight that rocked Lubin a little bit. So th look for that. If this fight becomes a firefight, which I believe it will, look for Lubin's chin and see how he reacts to Fondora because Fondora is going to land combinations on the inside. It's just inevitable. This has all the ingredients for a high-action, high-volume war. I don't see a, a scenario where this fight isn't entertaining. Erickson Lubin is going to be going for that body, that skinny, thin body of Fondora. And Fondora's job is going to be to smother Lubin and test out that chin and land something big. Fondora looked a little vulnerable in his last matchup against Sergio uh, Garcia. Looked a little bit vulnerable. So we'll see if he made the adjustments that he needed to make. The adjustments are going to be key. Who can adjust better between Lubin and Fondora? Because this is a stacked division at 154. Super welterweight. Both guys are trying to get in line for that title shot. We have Castaño versus Charlo 2 for Undisputed. All the belts. The winner of this fight will be right in line to get a shot at the champion. If it's Lubin, it'll be his second shot at Charlo. Years later, much improved since. We'll see if he could take advantage of that. In Fondora's um, case, he was a guy that people saw, including myself, a couple years ago and said, this is a fun guy. This is a fun fighter, good TV fighter, but I can't see him really climbing the ranks against these top guys. Well, now he has. He's, he's got himself in a position in a big fight, to make a statement. He beat Sergio Garcia. Yeah, it wasn't the best performance, but he did beat him. Sergio Garcia is no bump. Sergio Garcia is a very solid veteran in this division, and that was his only loss. He also beat Jorge Cota, a guy who's kind of the test man of the division. Everyone's got to fight Jorge Cota to see if they can get to that next level. Mexican warrior. Fondora beat him, knocked him out in four rounds. Uh, Charlo had to beat Fond uh, Excuse me. Charlo had to beat... Coda, um, Rosario had to beat Coda, Lubin had to beat Coda, Coda's just the test man, Fondora passed that test, can he pass the test against Erickson, the hammer, Lubin, we will see, that is on Showtime, that is the main event, that to me is fight of the weekend, should be all action, high stakes, and on the undercard you have Sergio Garcia, who is coming off his first loss, that was to Fondora, he's going against Tony Harrison, one of the best trash talkers in the sport. The king of the press conferences, I like to say. Every time this guy's a press conference, he's trying to sell you the fight. And it usually works. He's also the only man to defeat Jermel Charlo. He had the rematch, got stopped in the rematch. But before getting stopped, I believe he was up, on my card at least, 
against Charlo. Since then, he had a draw against Bryant Perella, a fight which he should have won. He did fight after uh, losing his father shortly before the fight. He said that was a big factor. He says he shouldn't have been in the ring that soon, but he feels like he's ready now. He's ready to take your respect. He said, if I don't get the respect, I'm just going to take it. So expect a good fight between Sergio Garcia and Tony Harrison. Tony Harrison, very slick boxer, pure boxer. He does have pop, 21 knockouts, 28 victories, but he's more of a stick-and-move guy. Expect his skills to be on display. Expect Tony Harrison to show out because he knows this could be his last chance for a big-time fight. So Showtime has a great card, headlined by Fondora Lubin, but it's all about the super welterweight division. They really do a good job on Showtime of really not only showing you one division, but showing you what could be on the horizon. So we got two good fights in that division on the same card. DAZN, you got Triple G in the morning. You got Ryan Garcia at night. Tons of action this weekend. I can't wait to get into it. Please tune in. Showtime, DAZN, those are the two channels this weekend. Check your local listings, as they say. And check out these fights because they all should be entertaining. That's for sure. And this is just getting started. Like I said, 10 straight weeks of big-time fights. We are going to keep rolling. The week after that, we got Earl Spence's return against Dennis Ugas. Can't wait to break that one down. I will have the preview for that next week. Please give me that five-star review. All you boxing fans, tune in. Keep it going. Shout-out to the art man. Got me my new... Um, my new artwork for this this podcast. And we're just going to continue to evolve, continue to grow, tell a friend to tell a friend. We're only getting started. This year should be an exceptionally great year for boxing. Last year was awesome. I think this year is already on pace to top it. And we're only going through, we only have the schedule through the half of the year. We don't even have the second half yet. And it's already looking stacked. April is loaded and May isn't too shabby either. We're, all, we're going all the way to June so far with the schedule. So tune in. If you're here for the wrestling, this is about where you want to tune in. If you're only here for the boxing, I will see you guys next week. Now, on to the wrestling portion of the podcast. Last weekend was WrestleMania. WrestleMania 38. I thought it was a fantastic WrestleMania. Night 1 was incredible. We had the return of Cody Rhodes. We had Stone Cold Steve Austin in an actual match. It was advertised as a KO show, a talking segment, an interview segment, if you will. We expected a brawl, but we did not expect a traditional match. A referee came out. We had a street fight. Supposedly, it's going to be Stone Cold's last match, but we will see. I thought he looked great in the match. Started off slow, but about halfway through the match, I feel like he got comfortable. Guy took a suplex on the cement. Incredible. I did not expect to see that. Had to be a uh, the time of KO's life. Kevin Owens, Stone Cold is his favorite wrestler. Actually said, because he grew up in, Can- in Canada, grew up speaking French. He said the commentary from Monday Night Raw from Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler actually helped him learn English. So that's the amount of impact Stone Cold and the Attitude Era had on him as a young kid. So a dream come true for Kevin Owens to headline WrestleMania with Stone Cold Steve Austin. We also had Cody Rhodes. Versus Seth Rollins, fantastic match. You had Ronda Rousey and Charlotte, decent match. Could have been a little bit better, but you had Becky B- Becky Lynch versus Bianca Belair. 
for the Raw Women's Championship. One of the best women's matches ever, in my opinion. Absolutely great night. Night two was really fun. Couldn't match night one, but I thought it was a really fun overall um, show in general. A lot of matches that you look at on paper and didn't think, you're like, oh, I don't really care about that. And then they over-delivered. That's the thing. I think WWE got this so right because they under-promised, but they over-delivered. The only thing they promised was a stupendous WrestleMania. They kept hammering that word in, stupendous, stupendous. And it really was. It was a really fun weekend. And with wrestling, that's all you can ask for. I had a friend saying, you know, yeah, that match, it was entertaining, but there's no but. That's what you watch wrestling for, to be entertained. Johnny Knoxville versus Sami Zayn was entertaining. Pat McAfee versus Austin Theory was wildly entertaining. The crowd was on fire for that match. If if you didn't watch wrestling and you saw Pat McAfee, you would think he was the biggest star in the company. That's how the crowd reacted. He did an awesome job. He had some of the most athletic moves of the night. Really shocked a lot of people. Um, the show went viral like I said it was going to because of all these celebrity interactions, and that's what WrestleMania is all about. We had the great wrestling in-ring matches, like Cody and Seth, like the women's matches, but you also had those fun, wild, unpredictable matches. Vince McMahon had a match. like It was just an awesome weekend. One of the best WrestleManias to me in a very long time. I, I love the two-night formula because it was two shortened shows. When you have those one-day long, like these modern-day WrestleManias are very long, six, seven hours. That's too much wrestling. I love wrestling. That was That is too much. Two shorter days works much better. I'm a fan of it, and I thought they knocked this one out of the park. Very happy, and I'm also happy for the future of WWE. I think with AEW kind of pushing the envelope, having better quality week in and week out, WWE is finally starting to get back to their old ways. They're not necessarily going to do it overnight. I tuned into the Raw after WrestleMania. It wasn't an overly exciting one. It, it wasn't filled with surprises like usual. But they, did, they made a conscious effort in building for their future. They have a lot of stars that they're going to build. It's going to take time. But they have a lot of young guys that are finally starting to come into their own. Cody Rhodes' return. He's not necessarily a young guy. But he's a new, fresh face for the company. He hasn't been there in a long time. He's a much bigger star than when he left. He's back. He's going to be in a prominent role. You have Braun Breaker, the son of Rick Steiner. He's an NXT champion. They put him on Raw recently. He won the title the other night on Raw. They want to make him a future star. He's got tons of potential. Looks like a natural already. Looks like a beast. Can't wait to see more from him. You have guys like LA Knight from NXT that are going to be a great talking piece. Great on the mic. He's going to become one of these stars. You have guys like Damian Priest, who Edge brought him in into a prominent role at WrestleMania. Cost AJ Styles the match. Edge now is starting. It looks like he's going to build a faction. So the guys that Edge brings up, those guys will automatically be elevated to top-tier spots. Austin Theory, who I mentioned earlier, had the match with Pat McAfee. A lot of people got to see Austin Theory, got to say, who is this guy? He was in a prominent role. Vince McMahon introduced him as a future world champion that's a huge huge stamp to put on a guy he was in the co-main event yes he lost the match but it's not about wins and losses when you're building guy the guy's only like 24 i believe he was also beaten by brock lesnar in the main event of an elimination chamber championship match he's been put in these top spots 
night in and night out. So they really want to make sure that you know this guy is important to the show. I think the future is bright with him. Guy can go, and WWE is really behind him, and they're really pushing him. And that's what really matters. As long as you're pushing this guy and he can deliver, the sky's the limit. Another guy with remarkable potential, Gable Stevenson. Seems like he could be a modern-day Kurt Angle type of guy because he is an Olympic gold medalist. He's also a two-time NCAA champion, and they mentioned him maybe five different times during the weekend for WrestleMania. He even got a little physical on night two. He's a guy that they're going to push hard, as they should. He's a legit guy, legit heavyweight champion wrestler. He's got to work on his charisma, obviously. That can be worked on, but he looks like he could be a natural. He was also a fan, so that always helps. Bear Mahan. I don't know how big he's going to be, but he's a guy that they showed video packages for months, maybe six months. Bear is coming, Bear is coming. He finally came, pause, he finally arrived in Raw on the night after WrestleMania. Had an impact, destroyed Rey Mysterio and his son. So it's instantly credibility, instant credibility, instantly going to get over. And the crowd went nuts. Now, that WrestleMania crowd is a different crowd. That post-WrestleMania, it's all people from around the world in town. So they're very vocal. They're very smart. They know what's going on. Are those chairs and people that actually care about beer? Is that going to continue in the next town? We don't know. Time will tell. But the moral of the story is WWE is making the effort to build these guys slowly in the correct way, and that's the way you do it. All these people, maybe they're not all going to get over. But if you push seven or eight guys at once, chances are three or four are probably going to get over, and that's what you need right now. You need some stars. Roman Reigns is on a dominant, dominant run. He has both the belts right now. He hasn't been pinned since 2019. So the thing is, the guy who pins him needs to be in a position where he can be the next guy. You can't just have him lose to anybody. The guy that beats him has to be built well. And they're starting to do that now. So we will see. Right now they have hope. That's one of the best things in any sport is hope. The season in NFL, when it's when in, when you're 0-0, zero and zero, you have hope. WWE had a great weekend. It's been a while since they could say that. Let's see if they can build on it. Hopefully they do. It'll be great for all wrestling fans. AEW's on fire right now. Um, Ring of Honor's back. It's a great time to be a wrestling fan. And if WWE, the top company, can get pushed, because commercially, they're, uh, they're untouchable. They're like Disney. They're not going anywhere. They make more money than they've ever made in the history of the company. But critically, if they can push themselves to be better, then everyone wins. Wrestling fans win. We all win. We'll have multiple companies putting out great production, great matches, great storylines. And we haven't had that since the 90s, where multiple companies at the same time are at the top of their game. I'm here for it. Can't wait to see it. And that pretty much wraps it up this weekend. Please, guys, give me that five-star review. Take your time. It only takes a few seconds. It really goes a long way. That's how I get advertisements. That's how I get um, people that aren't listening to this podcast now will see it more if I get those reviews in. I know it's annoying, but I'm going to keep saying it. Leave the review. Takes a minute. Trust me. I used to hate when podcasters say that to me, but I did take the time for other people and do it. So if you could do the same, I'd really appreciate it. Appreciate your time. Appreciate you listening. Please tell a friend to tell a friend. 
boxing fan, wrestling fan, listen to the podcast. This is Everyone Has an Opinion. At me on Twitter, at someone else, S-O-M-E-J-U-A-N-E-L-S-E. I'm out.